Stop hiding behind your sarcasm. Stop trying to be clever. I want you to run as far as you can. I want you to run as fast as you can, as hard as you can, till you can't fucking breathe. I walked into her bedroom, and she was sitting on the edge of the bed. And I froze, and we just stared at each other. And she lifted the gun to her head. What kind of hallucinations? <laughs> yes, I do. I hallucinate that I'm turning into an animal. You are the total package. She's gone. Bring her back. Let me out. I know you're in pain. I want to help you. It's worse when your emotions take over. <laughs> Welcome everybody to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host Viz and it is my honor and pleasure to welcome our special guest, Greg Bright, who's joining us tonight. Greg, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It is our treat. And I got to ask you straight off the bat, when you read this script, what were your initial reactions to Bloodthirsty? You know, I was um, I was actually out west shooting a movie um, that Wendy, who wrote this with her daughter Lowell, uh, was directing about a... Um, a really interesting story, but a, um, a, a kind of a famous Canadian story, but a, a guy who was on sentenced to death at 15 was put on death row to hang for a crime that he ended up not committing. And then later in his in life, he fights to have, clear his name officially. He was released from jail, but fought to clear his name. And so I was shooting that. And one day, Wendy and Mike, who was the producer on that as well, approached me and said, look, we have this script that we're, we're hoping to do right after this. Um, you want to take a look at it. We'd love for you to play this character, Vaughn. And um, when I read it, I thought that, um, I mean, some of the ideas resonated with me. I think the idea of what, what do we have to sacrifice in the name of art or the pursuit of any greatness? What, um, what niceties do we have to forego to get at something true, to reveal something darker, but maybe more honest in our work and in ourselves? So that, that, idea uh, resonated with me and um, and then they sort of the the script worked through a couple of more variations uh, before we went to camera and uh, I was just excited I love to act like I just you know I uh, I, I am happiest when I'm I'm pun intended sinking my teeth into a new character and meeting new people and having a new experience um, and whether it be a big movie or a small movie or a genre picture or uh, something a little more mainstream, I always I've been blessed to find, you know, a grace note in it, something that 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 rewards me on some level. And this was no different. It was a really, you know, it's a it's a small picture. We had a really small crew and, and not a lot of time to shoot it. But sometimes those are the best movies to work on because you're like a little family and there's this sense of camaraderie and everybody pulling in the same direction. And um, and it becomes very special. And and uh, also working with the young ladies on this, Amelia, who's the director, who I had never met or heard of, but strangely I had worked with her father, who's a, a first AD out, out on the west coast of Canada when 
I did this video, this Far Cry video game, and we shot a live action trailer for it. And her dad was working on that trailer out west. So she was excellent. And then my co-star, Lauren, who I didn't know, she's a Toronto actress, was sensational. Loved working with her and Catherine as well. So I was surrounded by these very um, new and exciting young voices. And as someone who's been around for a minute, uh, it's always exciting to to meet new artists, figure out how they work, collaborate, share a little bit about yourself, take a little bit from them um, on the rest of your journey with you. So, Absolutely. Now, Von Daniel, the character that you play in this movie, uh, is it completely different than anything you've ever done on film before? I play a lot of bad guys, like a lot of dark malevolent characters right when i was young i was cast in a movie called history of violence david cronenberg's film mm. and um uh and i played like a young spree killer and i wasn't in the movie for that long but it was an impactful you know first eight minutes follows me and then i come back a little bit and the studios got comfortable casting me as a bad guy someone the fair some look i have um I can speak that language, a language of violence with some facility. And uh, I've made a lot of, I think I've done a hundred movies and TV shows now. I would say 90 to 92 have been various shades of evil. Were you the antagonist? Um, yeah, yeah. And you know, particularly being an actor in Canada, that's often the interesting role that's available. You know, a lot of big American shows come down and they're going to bring their stars, but the bad guy's often available. So I've had a, a very fruitful career um, coloring outside the lines and bringing a little bit of danger to the production. And I think that each of the characters are different. Like this was, I played, um, I played a, an, ironically, a, the pack alpha of a, a family of werewolves in a show called Bitten on the Sci-Fi Channel mm -hmm. a few years ago. Um, so, and it was the complete opposite character. And he was very evolved, mature, masculine energy and available and sensitive. Whereas Vaughn is a lot more, I'd say Machiavellian and a lot more selfish in his pursuits than, than, um, than the other character was. But, you know, we all do what we do for our own reasons. And I think that's one of the keys as an actor is not to judge the character, but to find yourself in their skin. Um, and and I think it becomes more unsettling if you make them human as opposed to just some mustache twirling stock villain. Uh, uh, yeah, I totally agree. Is it, do you enjoy uh, have you gotten just so used to it right now? You enjoy playing the antagonist or is it something that you want to branch out from? Um, I, you know, I, I find that, yeah, I do. I love, sure. There's a, there's a great deal of therapy <laughs> that's saved when you get to, um, break all of society's rules. I, you know, I, I'm, a, I've been married for 25 years and I've raised three kids with my wife and there, the kids are all grown. And I, I think I've been like a, I think I've been a fairly good guy and I'm a, a conscientious member of my community and very sort of live a very conservative life. Uh, but when the cameras roll, I, I forgive myself every dark impulse and there's such freedom in that. There's such freedom in not following any rules and not worrying about censure or judgment and in fact being paid and celebrated for those dark little corners of our imagination or our mind that normally we don't let out. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I read a review last Friday uh, on Bloodthirsty, mm -hmm. the day it was released, and it was glowing reviews, and I absolutely agreed with it. And the person who critiqued the movie said, "You are your character was the glue that brought the whole movie together. So congratulations. I mean, to say Vaughn is a different character than we as viewers are used to watching on film or television is a big understatement. Uh, he's eccentric. He's also very dark, mysterious. What kind of uh, preparation did you do to put yourself in that character's shoes? You know what's really funny about this? I, I've, I've been, I, I feel fortunate. There's been some really nice reviews and people have been very kind and 
you know, that the common theme seems to be like intense and unsettling and creepy. And I, I thought <laughs> I was concerned I made him too nice because and I'll tell you this, this is funny. Like the, the character is written a certain way and, you know, you have an idea and there's obviously there's there's all of that. And there's, you know, the driving the young artist and pushing and there's that malevolence. But when I met um, Lauren and one of the first scenes we shot together, and I didn't know her at all. And so we had a very short prep time um, and she was singing Bloodthirsty. There's a scene where we're in the studio working on and her voice is so beautiful. There was such um, a haunting purity to it that it it really made me feel vulnerable and she's a really great young person and i have a daughter who's a little bit younger but that they they kind of reminded me of her a little bit uh, and she also had during the shooting she had a family uh issue that was very hard for her so i felt very paternalistic and very protective of her and we really enjoyed and had this great chemistry on a great affection on camera together that was genuine and there was a real warmth there that I liked and I didn't know how that played, but I guess in the context of the movie, all of that just makes it more unsettling because you see there, it's not just like a cold detached puppet master, mm -hmm. but it's a little, it's a little messier. It's like people that have a stake in each other, hurting each other and pushing each other and um, in the service of something bigger and 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 I think the echoes of my you know in the movie with my own um the scandal and the murder and the death and the unfinished song there was something unresolved in me that only she could finish or resolve so it, I mean it was it it's complicated but I I know that I enjoyed listening to her sing a lot and I felt this um a warmth that I didn't know if that how that would work but i guess it worked just fine i did not know that that was actually lauren who was that was her voice dude in insane she has such a great great voice um yeah no beautiful beautiful and the songs that, that lowell wrote are spectacular and that's such a big part of it's such a big part of the movie and it would but it was funny because when when she sang it was you know sometimes a song will take you back to whenever and I felt like I was 15 years old again and so uncertain about life. Yeah, I was back at this very interesting and 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 uh, kind of fearful time in my own life that, that was, it was just a, I was in a very, it, it accidentally put me in a very interesting headspace that I, I guess put in the context of the world became sort of compelling. When I, uh... When we approached uh, your reps and, you know, we were given access to the movie to them a little bit early, I wanted to watch it with no uh, preconception of what this movie was about. I don't know if it was going to be a vampire movie. I don't know right, if it was right. going to be a werewolf movie. I was very pleasantly surprised that it was a werewolf movie. What did you think of the take that Bloodthirsty took in their representation of shapeshifters, werewolves? As compared to something, you know, like American Werewolf in London. Um, I think that, I mean, I like the fact that the proportions are still recognizably human. Um, I like that it becomes something recognizable for an audience member, but also as, a, as an actor for yourself that, you know, the practical makeup that they put on and you'd look at yourself in the mirror and you you it's you with this beast having emerged and just accentuated your features in a way that um reflected i think something that we have in inside of us i i laughingly I, you know when i was in theater school when i was young i was with uh, my my now wife my girlfriend then and i ate a lot of mushrooms one night uh, as one does in new york in theater school and um <clears throat> i looked in the mirror and i i kind of transformed into a demon. It, it wasn't scary. It was not something that was threatening in any way. It was just this very dark power that was there, that was just dormant. And it felt that way when I looked at myself when the makeup was first on, that there was just something, um, there was something like an echo of something 
honest in in the bloodline that goes all the way back we all evolved from hunters and killers that's how we survived that's how we evolved and i think that we as an audience respond to the urgency of a of a wolf there's you know they they don't they don't live forever but they they there's a hunger to what they do there's a something very tactile about that world that I think is appealing, particularly now when we live through screens so much and we're so... Yeah, yeah, to know. totally agree. Uh, one of the characters that we see very little of, but I find very fascinating, is the character of Vera. Would Are we to assume Vera is to Vaughn what uh, uh, Renfield is to Dracula? Yeah. Yeah, she's very interesting. And she's such a neat, she was a really interesting lady too, because she's like the sweetest, like she was like the sweetest, sweetest lady from lived uh, in Edmonton. And, but there was just enough crazy behind the eyes. Like she could act, get into like find that, that it became, I mean, you just know that she knows where all the bodies are buried and has had a hand with the shovel. Um, it, it's that type of loyalty the uh that that is uh, an archetype in a lot of movies from alfred with batman on mm -hmm. which is the, the person who minds the troubled youth and has been with them their whole life and is will be there until you know and it, pa past their death it seems when you were uh uh acting with uh with uh vera i'm sorry the actresses i have the actress's name yeah i can't believe it. uh judith buchanan when yes. your scenes with judith buchanan uh there's no backstory given as to how judith and uh uh sorry vera and vaughn met did you come up with a story in your own mind to sort of explain their relationship and their interaction with each other you know sometimes um it's interesting sometimes i'll i'll feel the need to create like a backstory to 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 engage me with someone but with with Judith, it just there was this great ease with her. The first time she met me, like she was just kind of like around me in a way that felt very comfortable and familiar. And I don't know if she reminded me of teachers that I'd had, or when I was very young. And Judith is not as old as my grandmother, but my like my grandmother. There was just something very maternal and calming about her that I didn't need to imagine she was anything other than what she was. Like her energy was so specific and present that it was enough. And as an actor, that's what you always sort of hope for is if the, the person itself evokes a response out of you that that works for the movie without having to take another step removed from that. Yeah, yeah. Now, what do you think Vaughn was trying to accomplish with Grey? We find out in the end, the twist, the relationship mm -hmm. between Vaughn and uh, Grey. What was, uh, what was he trying to accomplish was he just slowly feeling her out? Was he absolutely certain before she even arrived at the house that she was who he thought she was? I felt, I don't know. Like, I mean, I don't know what the, the, the definitive decision from the writers were. I felt that I knew that that was my daughter um, when she came. So that's how it felt for me. Uh, as my, my, uh, Acting means a lot to me. I love it. My kids are all have become actors of, uh, and they're doing remarkably well. That's like my awesome. two sons, yeah, it's it's amazing. They're 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 having tremendous careers so far, and my daughter's just starting. But I'm a motherfucker when it comes to. I'm not sure if I can swear you when can, it comes yeah. to, to to preparing them, because. It matters to me, and being I, I trained at a, a school in New York called Circle in the Square, and we were it was sort of there was a classical component, but there's also a method approach to the work where you you dig within yourself and you bring that forward and you you lay yourself bare, and it's your responsibility to go to those darkest places and share that with an audience, it, make it real. Like I hate faking, I hate the tear shit that they put in people's eyes and stuff that like I don't want to be don't I don't want to lie to anyone I don't want to be tricked I don't want to be I want it to be real yeah so I push them really like when they were first starting like to not be 
don't cheat. Like, don't, don't, it's not nice. This isn't a sparring session. This don't isn't, take shortcuts. Yeah. And not only that, like you, like, look, I, I don't know, like I boxed also growing up. So when you're in the ring, you're sparring, you're working on things and like you're hitting and whatever, but it's not, it's not the same thing as when you're fighting someone, when you're fighting someone, it, it has to matter. It's, you know, don't, don't pretend to want to hurt the person, find something in you that, or someone that you really want to hurt and substitute that person and go there. When you're going to lose someone, imagine losing the most important person to you and really go through the, the, the imaginative work of watching them go down into the ground and then do your work from there. And when my son, my, my middle son now, who just, um, just shot a movie, Jesse Eisenberg's directorial debut with Julianne Moore. Wow. My son was, yeah, so he was, that was his sort of his first big break. And, but I remember when he was like young, eight, and he was auditioning for his first play in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory at school. And I was helping him get ready for this audition. And, um, and there's the scene where he, 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 he finds the, the coin and, and he's freezing and he's cold and he's starving and we're rehearsing in my living room and, he does it. He's eight years old. I'm a lunatic. And I'm like, I don't believe it. You know what it's like to be cold. You, We've lost so many houses. Well, you know what that feels like. And he's crying. I'm like, go, go. And then he does a scene and it's heartbreaking. Little Charlie's broken and he finds the coin. And he's so happy. And of course, then he went and he did that in the audition. He got the play and he was, he was actually spectacular. But my wife walked in as that was happening. She's like, you're ill. Like, you're... <laughs> But to me, <clears throat> I believe that in order to the work demands that on on some level. I think obviously there's fun, there's entertainment, there's all of that. But I think on some level, it demands you reveal or you go to a place that it takes a toll from you, which is the point of this movie to me with this person who I care about, who can be great, but not being nice, not being pleasant not wearing a social mask not not you know being a, a studio creation not being uh it's like you know in a star is born the lady gaga when she becomes all you know manufactured that that's not it that's not it i totally um, understand uh just listening to what you're saying we're very in similar circumstances i've been married for 21 years i have three children uh, my oldest is a girl and two boys yeah. They're all teenagers, and that is uh, how I talk to my kids now that they're teenagers. I'm talking to them like, listen, real life is going to kick you in the nuts, and mm. it's not going to give you a hand to get back up. you got to learn to protect yourself and stand up for yourself. So I totally relate to and completely understand to what you're trying to instill in your children when it comes to acting and to make it real and to not fake it. I think that's just, I think it's beautiful. The other thing that I've always been a big proponent of is, you know, it, the, it, the entertainment industry is really, it's, it's a tough business and everyone always, you know, to, to put you down, they're always like, well, it's a one in a million chance. And I've always said to my kids, yeah, yeah. But someone has to be that one, so why not you? Exactly. Like, why not you? I think I I think that people wanna. There's comfort in subscribing to limitations that are easy, the low branch. But but the people that are willing to dare for more, the people that are willing to go out onto that dangerous limb that's not so stable and maybe a little out of reach, those are the ones that get the best view. Those are the ones that show you where we can go and that's not just in art that's in life that's people that are innovators that are people that are leaders that that, that are people that move the, the the world and 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 the the species forward and it's not in baby steps it's in great heroic leaps absolutely you mentioned uh history of violence uh which was with vigo mortensen right. how was that experience and you know how filming such you know stuff like History of Horror. How did that help you as an actor? Um, well, History of Violence was changed my career for sure. And um, I had, uh, yeah, it was kind of interesting. So I, I had, uh, I was shooting a little movie out in Saskatchewan and I was back in, I was back home for a little bit and there was a casting notice for 
this character in the new David Cronenberg film, this young killer, whatever. And up until that point, I had played in my life, I had played um, a, a lot of sort of like, I was younger and I'd played guys in suits and preppy and sort of like that maybe a little arrogant or whatever. And, and um, the casting agent, this excellent casting agent, a woman named Deirdre Bowen, when they, my name, when my agent submitted my name, she was like, ah, no, nah, he's not right. But her casting assistant had cast me in a little short indie film um, the year before. And in the I had to go and improvise this moment. And I, I, I went, I brought something in that audition. And I did the little film and she's like, oh, no, no. Dear, do you know you, you want it? There's something wrong with him. You see him. Came in, put myself on tape. David Cronenberg saw the tape and really liked it. Really, really liked it. At the time, the studios, uh, because, you know, Willem Hurt, Ed Harris, Vigo, Maria Bello, they're all attached. They had high hopes for the movie. And they felt like, and the first eight minutes of the movie is just, it's a, it's a camera that follows a, a gentleman named Steve McCaddy and I out of the hotel. The camera stays on me, follows me into the, the lobby through until I shoot the little girl. And the, the studio was like, there, no one knows this this guy. Like, we need a star. Uh, we need someone the audience is going to recognize and know what world we're in. So the studio really wanted, they wanted to flesh out the part more. And they wanted Philip Seymour Hoffman to play my part. And they wanted Tom Waits to play the older killer. And that was, they really wanted that. And they were going to, you know, obviously throw a lot of money at them. And they were going to make the parts bigger. And that was going to be it. And Cronenberg was like, nope. The audience can't know these guys because violence has to be able to come from that person on the street that's walking past that you don't know who they are, you've never seen before. Like they, if it's not, that's not my movie. My movie is just the randomness of it, that it's just out there and you don't know who they are and you don't know where they're coming from and they come out of the shadows and they go back into the shadows. So he fought and he won that battle. And then um, to get to work with, I'm first of all, Viggo Mortensen is an exceptional actor and, yes. and a, a total gentleman. Yes. Ed Harris, uh, who I had the good fortune of being on set with a couple of times and was really nice to me, is, was, is a hero of mine. He's a um, legend, yeah. A legend. And, you know, that was my first fairly, you know, high-profile movie. And, uh, and I remember at the premiere, it premiered at the Toronto Film Festival, and I was at a an after party with my wife and we had just had our third child, our little girl, and she was at home with my mom. And, and it was the first night Danielle came out, like my wife came out and we were at this after party. And um, Vigo, I knew a little bit and Ed Harris, we were sitting at a table with them through the night and visiting and talking. And that was pretty great. And William Hurt had a, was sitting at a round, like a banquet on the other side of the room. And I had never met him before and I loved him. Mm -hmm. um, so I walked, I walked as we were walking out, I just wanted to pay my respects to him. And he was in a conversation with a couple of people. So I was standing there and, um, and then he looks at me and he goes, Greg, Greg, when I first saw you on that screen, my screen, I said to David, who is this man? Who is this young man? And then he spent the next 15 minutes breaking down every beat of my performance in that movie. When you, why did you inhale that long when you took when you took out the postcard? Why did you choose that postcard? Why did you check for the change in the machine? Like he was he just was like a little kid wanting to absorb everything of every act, like any performance, any actor he likes, and I've worked with him since then. He is such a consummate actor's actor. He just loves it and wants to absorb all of it. Um, so that was like the high, I thought if I, if a car crashed on the way home and this is it, I'm like, this was a pretty good, pretty good way to go. Um, and that movie from, you know, having a hard time making a living and providing for my kids and waiting tables and doing all those things that actors do for, I do, did that for a long time. Then that was your big break. That was a big break. Yeah. New line who was the studio for that then cast me opposite, um, Clive Owen and Paul Giamatti and um, uh, Monica Bellucci in Shoot 'Em Up. Uh, they offered me that, and um, and then I, you know, I played just a bunch of sort of 
perverse, bad guys, weird, broken, intense people for the next decade and a bit, and then sort of more recently have been given the opportunity to play not nice characters, but at least less bad leads in some Canadian features and stuff, and it's been a hell of a ride. That sounds like a hell of a ride. Going back to Bloodthirsty again for a little mm -hmm. bit, yeah. One of the big shockers for me was at the end when you have spent all this time, Vaughn spent all this time bringing Gray in, uh, slowly uh, revealing to her who she is, who you are. Why would he attack her? Uh, that really puzzles me. Is it that... You just had no control when you are shape-shifting into a werewolf over what you do anymore? I think, yes, but I, I think also, like, you know, sometimes pressure builds up. Like, when you, like, love does this, right? It, obsession, like, it becomes, like, there was, there, was a, there was a mentorship. There was also an obsession with her because she... She evoked memories of a past love, uh, and and just when you feel like you can't, when you're losing control of the thing that you need to control in order to feel safe in a way yourself, you we oftentimes lash out. Violence is is the mechanism we use to try to regain control, and and to me that was a sense of losing control. Um, you know, not unlike when Stanley's losing, Stanley Kowalski in Streetcar is losing control of. His household does a blanch and stuff like that acts out and you, you, you know, use violence to stop the threat, to stop the thing that's making you lose control. So it, it, it is part of it was the when the wolf is closer to the surface, all of those impulses are, are more, um, uh, they're just more fertile, they're more there. Um, so that, that was my justification was just this sense of release from the pressure of trying to control and coax out and also being haunted by the fact that she reminded me so much of, of the person who I loved so much like there. So there was also that weird. Yeah. Well, that's her mother. Yeah. That's yeah. her mother. Yeah. Did you like, I like the fact that in the movie they reveal stuff that, you know, we, we should know, but they keep a lot of stuff up to the viewers uh, interpretation. Do you, mm -hmm. do you agree? Do you like that? Yeah. I love that. And you know, I, I give a lot of credit to, Amelia, who was the director on this, because, you know, sometimes movies can be um, overwritten, like they say too much, they explain too much, they, and that's just, that's natural, you want, you know, the writer wants to get all of their ideas across, and, and Amelia uh, was pretty ruthless, and, and I think understands, like, even for a young director, understands the medium, uh, and the power of shots, and the power of almost in a Hemingway-esque way of, like, what you leave out is sometimes even more important than what you show. So she would, you know, she would go through scenes that were really wordy or expository and just cut, 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 cut. So we were left with a very lean and suggestive and impactful script mm -hmm. as opposed to something that just overtells itself. Yeah, I loved it. I loved that part of uh, the way it was done uh, in Bloodthirsty. Let's shift over to Saw 5. Uh, <laughs> now, first of all, how did it feel to be to join the Saw universe. It was amazing. Um, it was, a, you know, it's such an iconic franchise. And, um, you know, to get to be a part of, of that world was, was exciting. Genre fans, I think there's a, they, there's a particular intensity and passion for the work that they have and that they share and express that to me is, is really exciting and rewarding. Mm -hmm. um, it was the most exhausted I've ever been in my life uh, after shooting that movie because uh, every day, you know, we shot it, they build the, the series of traps and you go from one to the next to the next. But like every take, every day, you are about to die, right? Like the intensity is so high and it's so physical. Um, that I mean, I think I shot maybe I uh, maybe two and a half, three weeks is what it took to shoot the the part, all the traps, and um, I was just spent at the end of it. It really felt like I had been through, you know. I remember when I was a kid playing football in college, like two a days, like summer camp. Like after that two weeks of doing two a days, your body is just 
like tired. Yeah, done. It felt like that. It felt like, but it was great. The uh, David Hackle directed that, who is um, who I know a little bit, and Julie Benz, who I, I have a lot of respect for um, as an actor, was really fun to work with as well. And then I got to come and do a little cameo in in Seven. So yeah, uh, Saw Five for me because it had a lot of uh, sequels. And they're actually coming up with a new movie this year called Spiral that is still in the Saw universe. But right. Saw 5 for me was one of my favorite sequels of the whole, uh, you know, Saw universe. That uh, last scene, the last trap, where it's you and I forgot the girl's name. Julie Benz. Julie Benz. And the, the I don't know the creative minds that go into setting these jigsaw traps where you guys have to literally give up half your blood and whoever gives up the most gets to leave. Walk us through filming that scene. Well, that was really, um, I mean, they had, at first they had built the prosthetic, the arm, because like when I pull it out of the saw, it's obviously it's in half. Um, it was really weird because the the props are so amazing that there was real so there's four slots and then there's uh, three real saws and one dummy slot. Now they had little plastic barriers in front of the three live saws, but even like you you know that, but as you're approaching this contraption and you see saw wheels, bands, or like a table saw things spinning, spinning, and you're feeding your hand into that same contraption. It was terrifying. I'm like, I'm watching, I remember watching it for the first time. And I'm like cringing. Oh, no, it, yeah, it was really scary. And I liked that character because it was a bit odd task. Like he was written up as this sort of trust fund little junkie. And I, in real life, like I'm six foot one, I'm like a big guy. Um, but I, I understood, I think, his sense of guilt and shame and was able to bring that to the character and this profound guilt. Because he was an arsonist. Yeah, and, and felt really terrible for what he had done. Like it was, he felt, I felt like I deserved my punishment. I, I deserved to be punished for what I had done. And, and, you know, it was part of an insurance scam to light this building on fire, but people died in it. And I, but I, I understood that and I, I, I quite liked the fact that that there was this like there was this real sense of atonement and or penance in it, uh, it, uh, uh, it that that felt right for me like as an actor like it was beyond this the scares and the uh, you know obviously the the mechanism of the movie is really thrilling but but personally like that, that journey towards atonement for things that we've done wrong in our yeah. life and satisfying. And that's what Jigsaw is all about, making people right, realize what, what they've done wrong. Now, Malik, the character that you played in Saw 5, mm -hmm. he uh, was actually saved twice in the earlier traps. Uh, the, those people died before him. You right. uh, were one of the last two standing. Uh, did you feel that Malik thought that he was going to be the one to get out of that room alive? Um, I, it was weird. I felt a real connection with Julie when we were doing it. So I didn't feel selfish in it at all. I wanted us both to get out or else I wanted her to get out. Like I was, I think, I mean, at that point it felt like I needed to, I needed to at least pay for what I had done. Now, if I got out, great, but I, I needed the pain. I needed to go through that transmortification of the soul and, here's my my blood here's my blood sacrifice for the blood that i shed and um uh and i don't think i expected to live out of it no i mean i knew i did because i'd read the script but i don't think i mean as malik i didn't feel like i would survive that even though he i did yeah yeah it was a it was a great twist so take us back when did you know in your life that acting is really what you wanted to do like yeah you know what this is what i want to do with my life I came to acting late. Uh, I was, I mean, as a kid, my mom wasn't surprised that I became an actor. I used to um, dress up in like different clothes, change clothes, 
six, seven times a day. And, and I remember I'd talk to myself. Like I'd lock my door and my brother would be on the other side. I'd make up voices and just, I was very rich imagination. But my mom said like, why do you, why are you always changing outfits into Elvis or this or that all day long? I said, well, I, I, it's no fun just being me. So maybe that seed has always been there. But I went to um, a university in Canada called Queen's University to play football, um, Canadian football, which is the same as American football, but three downs. And, um, you know, I was going to go into law school and then into politics afterwards. And I played football. We won a national championship in my third year. Um, and I, I had always written a little bit of poetry and liked writing. So I had a, I had an elective. I had a, a, a free slot in my third year. And I thought, oh, I'm going to take a playwriting class. So I took this playwriting class and the professor, a guy named Fred Uringer, uh, uh, really liked the way I wrote and read my own stuff. And he was going to be directing a production of Hamlet the following year. And he said, you know, I don't know what your, like, your situation is with football or your life plans, but I just, I have a feeling that you, you might want to explore acting a little bit. And I, uh, I had fun playing football. I was not going to be a professional. I talked to my coaches and I said, guys, I don't think I'm going to come back my fourth year. I'm going to audition for this play. He, um, he had this very interesting concept. He was a famous, uh, there's a, a Shakespeare festival in Canada called the Stratford Festival. And he was a well-known mask maker. Mm -hmm. And his concept was that uh, different young actors in the company would be Hamlet at different sections of the play and the mutable self and you'd exchange masks. And it was just this high concept. And so we were going through this audition process to see who would fit where in the cast. And it lasted a couple of weeks. And then one day after this, rehearsal slash audition he, he pulled me aside afterwards and he said um you know i've had this idea since i was in theater school myself this concept and he was in his 70s at that point he said this is going to be my last hamlet that i'm directing and i'm gonna i'd like to scrap this concept and i i want you to play hamlet just so we're going to do an unadorned unabridged hamlet i'd never acted before but i was familiar with shakespeare and in the foolish best decision of my life I said of course like what could go wrong <laughs> and the night that I was cast as Hamlet is the night I ki uh, kissed my wife for the first time so I was falling in love with her and falling in love with acting and running back and forth from rehearsal to her little third floor walk up near the campus and it was very heady times and the production um, was successful I mean it was a limited run I think we did maybe four or five shows but some people from the professional theater community in Toronto had come to see it and they said you should really think about training yeah. or doing something because you have this natural you have this a talent that you might want to develop so I went to New York um, and auditioned for theater schools and and went to uh, decided on a place called Circle in the Square where Philip Seymour Hoffman had gone and Benicio Del Toro and it was a you know it was a wonderful experience my wife and I packed one little suitcase together with a couple of books and a pair of baby jeans that she had bought on our second date that all our kids have worn since. And we just moved to New York together. How much time did you spend in New York? Uh, we spent three years. I got her pregnant um, halfway through my second year of theater school. So we had a baby, uh, which is always the m most sane decision to make when you are heading into the most stable of all possible careers. So we we had a baby and living in the East Village in New York. My favorite and, part of Manhattan. I love amazing. the village. Yeah, yeah. So we, yeah, we were on um, 12th and B, mm -hmm. and we, um, you know, it was funny when we gave birth to him. We, we, you know, didn't have money for a cab or anything. They kicked us out after 24 hours, and we just walked home with him. Like we carried the baby home because it was only three blocks to our house. So, like, it was just such a crazy. Like we just were like, I guess this is life now, right? Yeah. So we, um, we stayed in New York for another uh, half year, and then she, my wife's family's in Toronto, and uh, we moved back up here to be closer to family. And my career sort of uh, took a while to get going, and I did some time at the Stratford Festival and little parts here and there and here and there. And then History of Violence really changed, changed things for me, and, and I've been blessed. It's been a... Not without its troubles and not oh, yeah. without 
the scars it leads leaves, but uh, it's been a blessed life. Nothing worth having comes easy. Uh, true, true, true. How do you feel? I mean, Toronto is the Los Angeles of Canada now. Uh, there yeah. is so much production yeah. going on in Toronto. Uh, with keeping COVID in mind, mm-hmm. how has it impacted future auditions for not just you, but for other actors in and around the Toronto area? Um, so the whole, I mean, obviously the whole world shut down when, when COVID first hit. So for about six months, there was just nothing happening. And um, I was supposed to be shooting a series in Ireland and Spain. And I had a whole bunch of commitments lined up. Like it was really shaping up to be a pretty great year. <laughs> and then it just, it the whole thing stopped. And um, I will give credit to the producers in this city and to the union that they worked with the government to put um, protocols in place to make it really safe to work. Um, and so the film industry is, for the, about a year now, has been back up and running. And I've shot a couple of series and some things. It's very different. Um, first, we get tested every day. Yeah. Like I'm shooting something right now and literally every day I get tested. Um, there's, if there's ever a positive, there's contact tracing, there's distancing, everyone's masked, they sterilize it. Like they really have made an effort to keep everyone keep, safe and keep the business going as well. Like that's a huge component. There's so many, so many, um, you know, I know so many people in like the service industry, restaurants, owners, people that have just lost everything that have, you know, the whole life work is just gone. Yeah. Um, and that, that breaks my heart. So I feel fortunate that um, that that we have uh, been able to to stay open, and that's part of it is because of the the you know the 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 studios and a lot of American studios have you know ponied up the necessary funds to keep everyone safe and to keep testing and and um, and if that wasn't the case, they you know we would be shut down like so many other things. We're still in a pretty hard lockdown in Toronto right now. Um, but you know there's so many channels and people people need to have human experiences wherever they are and and one of the the blessings of this art form is that you can sometimes delight people and entertain them and sometimes make them cry and sometimes scare them but you make them feel human for that time in the dark room watching you on the screen and that's that's nice and both my i mean my Still travel is difficult, but my oldest son is gearing up to shoot a huge new series in Wales right now. And my middle one just came back from shooting that I, Jesse Eisenberg movie. So, you know, there's work is happening. It's it's a, it's a sort of a strange work right now. It feels less um, spontaneous, like because everything's just so compartmentalized, but yeah. necessary. And, and, and I'm grateful we're doing it. It's not just the entertainment industry. I think every industry is just trying to uh, refine its way in a, in the new world. It is going to yeah. be a new world moving forward. Now, you have done a lot of film. You have done a lot of television. I ask this question to almost all my guests. Do you have a preference over uh, one or the other? You know, there's benefits to both. Um, I, I selfishly, because, you know, my, early in my life, with the kids and and a lot of financial instability and and a rocky road when you're on a series for a few years three four years and you know what your world looks like you you, you know you you're, you're on mapped ground you're not yeah. you know setting job security yeah yeah and and you you build relationships and you can really explore a character um you know so there's that element of it the the act the acting other than you're doing maybe more pages uh, on a day for a a TV show, but the acting is still, it's still, you know, quiet on the set, rolling, and it's you and another person, and you're trying to create honest moments between each other. So whether it's on a huge, I went and did a few days, well, I was out there for a few weeks, but a little bit on Ad Astra, James Gray's Brad Pitt's new, well, not new, movie a couple of years ago, and like, so you're on big movies like that, and they're huge, and there's all the toys and and then you're on a little film you know with 10 crew members 
you know, in the middle of the prairies in Canada, it's, it's all, it's all the same impulse. It's just a different scale, economies of scale. But for an actor, your job is always to try to be honest and to try to reveal something true of yourself that people will recognize in themselves. So, um, so you've, yeah, that's, you've done big productions and then you've done, uh, independent films. Sure. Uh, what, uh, what is uh I, I mean i i love independent films i root for them especially great ones that go through the the film festival circuit for you what is the draw and the appeal uh in independent films like is there something in independent films you mentioned earlier the small family environment that just gives it a little bit of an extra appeal for you maybe i i'm gonna be honest like i you look i i love to work you know, and, 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 um, I enjoy, I look for, there's, I've had out of a hundred movies, I've had maybe one or two experiences that weren't rewarding that were just kind of like, Oh, this is a shitty. Um, so those odds are pretty good. Um, I, 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 if someone is, if the part is good, the part is something that I'm, that's worth pursuing or is offered to me and I enjoy it. I, um, I, I, I try to take each experience for what it is. So I don't really have a preference. The one thing about an independent film is that the people you need to understand the limitations of what you can do and be smart within that bloodthirsty, I think does that so well mm -hmm. because you can't, you don't have the time to get all the shots and every angle and you can't, you can't fix it in the edit. With a big movie, you can get enough footage, enough coverage, everything's shot, everything's there. You can fix it. You can make the movie in the edit. It, with an independent film, the script has to be good, and you have to shoot the movie you want to shoot right at the start because there's nowhere, there's 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 no nothing else to save it. It it is what it is. Um, and and sometimes as an actor, I will say like with a lower budget thing, sometimes you you wish that there was maybe more takes or more angles just to cut it together. And, you know, you see, but then 